Today on Basic, the voice of MTV's Daria, Tracy Grandstaff. I actually think that Daria appreciated where Beavis and Butthead were coming from. Daria played off the fact that she was socially awkward, probably had social anxiety. I think she would have thrived during a pandemic because it meant she never had to leave her bedroom. I liked her a lot. I related to her a lot. I was very much like that in high school. Her lens on Gen X perspective was pretty accurate for a base of people 25 years later that still relate to Daria. The show is evergreen. I can't believe that it's still a relevant part of pop culture. Hey, everyone, and welcome to Basic, the official podcast of the unofficial history of cable television. I'm Doug Herzog, former TV executive, and I've been very busy procrastinating all day. And I'm Jen Cheney, TV critic at Vulture and New York Magazine. And Doug, your shallowness is so thorough, it almost seems like depth. Mm-hmm. That was my Daria impression, by the way, just to be clear. I don't really feel that way about Doug. <laughs> Very good Daria impression. And by the way, Jen, that's not the first time I've heard that. <laughs> so if you're listening today, you may not have heard of our guest, but she's got one of the coolest basic cable resumes you're ever going to hear. And she's an old colleague and a friend of mine. Well, I think some people have probably heard of Tracy Grandstaff. She's a longtime television executive. She's a producer and a writer. But most importantly, she was the voice of Daria. That was a show that was a spinoff of Beavis and Butthead. And it also gave us this really seminal Gen X millennial character who, you know, was a female voice at a time when there were not a lot of those on television. And if that wasn't enough for Tracy, she also appeared in the pilot of MTV's The Real World, if you can believe that. Yeah, it's really an amazing resume. So if 90s MTV was your thing, and honestly, I don't understand you if it wasn't, you will love our chat with Tracy. So hang in with us after class gets out, and Jen and I will get our teen spirit on and discuss the significance of MTV's Daria. Well, we are so excited to have Tracy Grandstaff here with us, the voice of Daria, an icon, a legend. Tracy, thanks for being here with us. Well, thank you, Jen. And thank you, Doug. That's my best story at this point. It's like 25 years ago. I got to conjure her back up a little bit. We'll warm up a little bit and then you can get there. We usually ask our guests an opening question, which is, do you remember when you got cable television? So I remember when I first saw cable television and it was all about MTV. No joke. It was, you know, 80s high school It wasn't really about a program. It was just about watching it for as long as it was on the air. Even in repeat, I could watch Sledgehammer 500 times. It didn't matter. (laughs) Our family was, we were the last ones on the block probably to get cable. It was very intellectually based. Kind of my dad was a college professor. My mom was a administrator. So TV wasn't, we had three channels if we were lucky and the antenna was working. So by the time I went off to college, my younger brother, who was still at the house, kind of conned my parents into, like, he, he gamed it. He figured out how to get a new car, a waterbed, basic cable. <laughs> so, you know, by the time I came home for college on weekends, I could sit and obsess and say hello to my parents and go downstairs and just watch MTV. So th- that's the biggest memory is coming home from college and just falling in love with MTV. You were from Michigan, right? Yeah, Kalamazoo, Michigan. And where did you go to school? Hope College in Holland, Michigan, little uh, liberal arts school on Lake Michigan. It was fantastic, a little chilly, little lakeshore effect in the winter. And how did we get from that little liberal arts college in Michigan to MTV, which is where you started your career, right? Well, I think that MTV in general planted the scene for my exit plan from Kalamazoo. It was sort of uh, one of those, well, it's been fun, guys. But in Kalamazoo, your mirror on the world is interview magazines if you're into music and college radio for the most part. So through Hope, I did a semester in New York working at NBC 
at 30 Rock in talent relations, got a taste of New York, found out what SNL writers do. And at the time, the Letterman writers didn't really feel like I wanted to babysit the talent for the rest of my life. So I I saw what I didn't want to do. And then I saw more of what I did want to do. So that sort of gave me the trajectory to aim for New York, get out of there, figure out how to just get to MTV. That was it. That was my one main goal, get to MTV. Did you go directly to MTV from MTV? I did not, Jen. Like everyone in the 90s, I did a lot of random jobs. Yeah. Took a minute, lived in Philly for a while, worked for a magazine, covered the pop culture scene there, interviewed the church and, you know, bands that were hot at the time. And we knew that the magazine I was working for was going under. They were just running out of money. And one of the other writers on staff was getting an interview at MTV to come in as a copywriter. She ended up not wanting the job, tipping me off. So I started going down and interviewing and that was my foot in the door. I think it was 89 when I came in. And in the 90s, if you were willing to do anything, they would just give you the job. It, was, it wasn't really based on qualification. What was the job you got hired at at MTV? It was like a junior copywriter. It was Leslie Leventman's team. That was Creative Services. Creative Services. Yes, that's where I started. It was great. It was a good foot in the door, but was getting restless, wanted to do more. You guys were on the 23rd floor. The 23rd floor was the cool floor at 1515. 23rd or 24th. I can't remember. One of those. Yeah. 24th. And we were on 21. And all I knew was I wanted to get up to 23 or 24. It's kind of how that worked. <laughs> so the next step that's embarrassing, but true is the real world was in pilot phase. The way they would cast for the most part, if they needed someone in a minute is put up flyers in the bathrooms or the kitchens at MTV with a number that would say, interested in being yourself on camera, experimental new show, sign up here. And a friend said, you should try this, see how it goes. So Lauren Correo called me in and I got interviewed and wound up on the pilot of The Real World, which (laughs) was surreal and a weekend I'll never forget. Let's back up a second because you just said something enormously important, which was that you were in the pilot of the real world. Yeah, and I'm just trying to gloss over the little minor little details. Come on. Yeah. You know. What was that like? What Did you have any idea what you were in for going into it? I mean, because this was such a, a new way of making television, like reality TV wasn't even a, a genre, really. I personally feel like real world really kicked it all off. And no, we had no mm-hmm. idea what was going on. It was more a study of paranoia. <laughs> We basically walked into this amazing loft that none of us could afford on Broadway and Prince. It was tricked out and there were cameras. It was wildly brightly lit, like no one's apartment you've ever known. Immediately, there was a sound guy with a battery pack going down your pants to rig you so he could record everything you were saying. And then everyone starts to stream in self-consciously, kind of getting to know each other. It was just bizarre, just knowing that people were following you everywhere you went. I had a camera crew following me while I was jogging one morning, which is not at all weird and uncomfortable. This is like so many weird things happening. But I think by the end of the weekend, we came out of it, you know, secretly talking to each other about how we just didn't know if there were going to be surprises. Like, were they going to suddenly have a VJ walk through the door or, you know, suddenly Ken Ober is there or... Kurt Loder wants to, like, we had no idea what was going to pop out at us. It just sort of felt as if you were under a microscope and you couldn't believe that anyone would watch this. You just couldn't believe anyone could care. 
Curiously, uh, Tracy, how often do you drop the I was in the real world pilot at like a cocktail party? Just now. (laughs) As as often as I drop it during a podcast. (laughs) Just this one time then. This is a one and done. And I think I did destroy pretty much all of the copies of it. So don't try. (laughs) Oh, there's got to be something somewhere. No, Jen. I only remember one image of Tracy in the pilot, and that is jumping on the back of a motorcycle with one of the other cast members. They use that as like a go-to-break shot, I remember, during the pilot. I don't remember who the guy was or where you were going, but it's just like, wow, that's cool. And whoever edited it put it to you, too. Ah. It was one of my favorite bands at the time, which showed you the power of editing. And it was <laughs> Peter Reitzfeld, who was a bartender at the Raccoon Lodge downtown, still a friend still one of the coolest guys. We ended up sharing a room in the loft together because we thought the whole thing was insane. And the way it was edited tried to act like there was something between us more than friendship, right? Mm -hmm. But he had a girlfriend, which no one knew. Is he the only one you're still in touch with or any of the other cast members? Really just Peter through Facebook. And when the show finally came to air in its, you know, all its glory, what did you think of it? And did you think it was going to endure till today? Yes, absolutely. Because the weird way things turned out, Lauren Correo, who I've mentioned like 40 times on this, who's an amazing person. (laughs) She is the godmother of the real world, for sure. She is. She was shepherding it through. She needed a new assistant. So I interviewed for her for that position. And then I learned so much more about the show that I was not on after I became her assistant. And absolutely through just what I was hearing and seeing and seeing and meeting the cast, I knew this was going to be big. I was like, no doubt. And was seriously so relieved that I was not (laughs) part of that (laughs) circus for sure. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. So at some point in this process, you moved to Beavis and Butthead. Were you brought onto the writing team right away or did you have another role first? So after Lauren moved out to California, because we were all based in New York, I moved over to the editorial department to really pursue the thing that I love the most, which was writing. And that was under Chris Kresge, who's an amazing human. Who Dearly um, departed, Chris Kresge. Dearly departed, rest in power, amazing guy, who was the head writer of MTV at the time. We were really in charge of writing promos, writing VJ banter for different specialty shows. We wrote for the Video Music Awards, that kind of stuff. So Abby Turkuli was heading up that promo group and was really into animation. He's the one who discovered Beavis and Butthead through Frog Baseball. And Mm -hmm. once that thing trended through, I want to say, Liquid Television, it's where it kind of debuted, he boldly said, we should turn this into a series. And people were like, yeah, really that guy. They gave him like $20 to do it, which meant they had no money for hiring talent. And Mike did most of the voices. Mm-hmm. As the female writer in the room turned to me to kind of cover those bases. Mm-hmm. So Daria was one of a few. I did Rock Chicks, Cassandra, the depressed poet. My favorite is Stuart's mom. She's the one that's <laughs> my favorite to do. She's kind of based loosely on my mom from Kalamazoo. So yeah, it was really, really fun. Is that something you embraced, like the voice acting aspect of it? Did you think that was going to be a thing for you or a career or? Yeah, I think so. I think I was doing radio in college and doing, um, you know, auditioning a little bit on the side through college to do commercials and things like that. But, you know, it was really, the writing was really for me, the power. And honestly, being good at it means acting and I'm terrible at acting. (laughs) So that really wasn't smart. I can be a smart ass, but I'm really good. I really respected the craft of acting. <laughs> I was not one to insult it by trying to pursue it. So you mentioned a second ago, you were the only female writer on staff, at least initially, because I think there initially, eventually were yeah. other women. Yeah. yeah. What was it like being the only woman in this environment where you're writing about these two dumbasses, basically, like <laughs> with a bunch of other dudes. Like, what was that like? With well, a bunch of other dumbasses. With a bunch of dumbasses. <laughs> and I'm, I'm queen of the dumbass. I mean, just as dumb as the rest of them. And, you know, when you're in the 90s, you were so used to being the token female writer in the room that literally my sense of humor is a 14-year-old boy. So it just really wasn't much of a stretch for me to play off of the guys. Plus, we were all kind of family because we were all promo writers to begin with. Mm-hmm. I mean, no one knew if Beavis and Butthead was going to work until that first season. It was genuinely us sitting around 
making fun of videos where some poor PA had to write down all our smart ass comments about <laughs> winger or whatever. Well, hopefully I didn't get this wrong, but tell us how that process was. It was literally you guys would just play videos and sit around and make fun of them and just write everything down, right? Yeah, basically. I think it was Susie Lewis who picked the videos. She'd go to all the meetings to see what was new, what was old, what we could get cleared. She'd bring in a reel and it'd be like lunch would be served and it'd be the writers all sitting around stuffing their faces with something from Panera and, you know, <laughs> ranking on Hootie and the Blowfish or whatever. It was hilarious. The stuff that didn't make it into the show is a show in and of itself. Did anybody preserve an archive of what those notes were? Because I would love to know what didn't make it into the show. I have to say that most MTV people I know are hoarders and probably is a binder full of notes with all of the all the material that didn't make it, for sure. Although the stuff that did get on air was so funny and they would take deep digs at these bands. And I think everybody who worked at MTV felt like, well, this is what we do all day anyway, which is sit around and make fun of the videos, but we're not really <laughs> supposed to be making fun of the videos. Yeah, exactly. So it was a great outlet. Truly cathartic. So when you voiced Daria for the first time, by the way, I was re-watching that Beavis and Butthead episode last night. Did you know she was going to be a recurring character or was it just like we're trying it out in this segment and we'll see if it works? No, I had no idea. I liked her a lot. I related to her a lot. I was very much like that in high school. So it was very easy to dip into that zone as a character. But uh, I think that it was David Felton who really invented her and kind of gave her voice. He was a Rolling Stone writer who came to MTV. And I think on his business card, didn't it say the oldest employee? It said MTV's oldest employee. David Felton was former Rolling Stone. He was also a Pulitzer Prize winning reporter for the LA Times. He, I think he won the Pulitzer Prize for reporting on the riots. And he also mm -hmm. famously did the Charles Manson cover story for Rolling Stone. Wow. And he's also in Almost Famous. Hmm. Yes. Yeah. A really great, interesting, lovely, hilarious man. He honestly kept the purity of MTV going through a lot of commercial years. He would create these think tanks of people that just really kind of the goal was to keep things subversive. <laughs> so even though, you know, somebody else created Daria and gave her voice, you were her voice. And so I'm curious kind of how you approached that process and how she evolved, because in that first Beavis and Butthead episode, she's... She's very smart and she's obviously there to kind of make the two of them look even more foolish than they already do. But in the show, Daria, she also has this sort of cynical detachment that even though the audience for that, I think, was more like older millennials, like, it just feels very Generation X to me. And I'm wondering if you worked on her voice to do something a little bit different once she had her own series. I actually think that Daria appreciated where Beavis and Butthead were coming from. Like they were fringe, they were outsiders. They said some stuff that I thought she found really amusing. So she tolerated them because she also was kind of fringe. And she definitely reminded me of myself a little bit and people I knew in high school. So it was easy to kind of delve into a smart girl, probably smarter than some of her teachers. Not that I was, but I think Daria probably could be teaching the classes. So it was very simple to roll with someone who gets teased, detaches, doesn't let the teasing affect her, exists, tries to be a little bit invisible. It's impossible because she's too smart to be invisible. So that was that was kind of where she ran in Beavis and Butthead. And she, I think that she tolerated them because she found them amusing. So when it came to the series, clearly she had to have more depth. Glenn Eichler and the team wrote incredible scripts for her as a character and great passages. There's an amazing one where she self-reflects on her whole family and she nails why her mother is a workaholic, why Jake 
is neurotic, why Quinn is probably smarter than she appears, but buries it. And her own thing of pushing people away because she's afraid of intimacy. I mean, she just nails it, but it's so well-crafted. So for me personally, knowing that they were going to take her on a journey that went beyond just commentary on the idiocy of the world around her and the adults and capitalism and everything else that she dealt with made it very easy to sink into a natural rhythm with who she is because her lens on the world from Gen X perspective was pretty accurate for a base of people 25 years later that still relate to Daria, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. So I know you haven't done it in a while, but are you able to do the voice? She's always with me, Jen. She never <laughs> leaves my side. <laughs> so you produced this show on MTV in the 90s, which was a very different time. And MTV specifically was just filled with dumbass guy shows like you know, Jackass and Beavis and Spring Break and just a bunch of goofy, sort of male-oriented stuff for the most part. So how conscious were you and the staff of Daria doing something that was theoretically more for the young female audience than it was for their maybe core male audience? I think that it was exactly what you're saying. I think that Judy McGrath was president at the time too. And I think smart people at MTV really identified that there wasn't much speaking to half of the population. Guys, we got that covered. What about the ladies who also like all the music, all the videos, all the things, but there's zero people on air that they can really relate to outside of Idalis or Daisy Fuentes or whoever the 90s VJs at the time really were. So that's exactly what it was. They went hardcore into developing a slate of shows that were female-centric. And that's when I, I really do want to give Dave Felton the credit. I believe he was the one to say, why don't we take Daria, try and spin her off into its own thing. I think even Eon Flux was something from Liquid Television. Great, amazing, kind of an anime-styled show that they thought that might be a strong female figure. She gets killed every episode, but maybe we, uh, you know, try that too. Yeah, I was thinking back and I'm thinking, God, the only real, you know, other than the female VJs, I guess it was House of Style, which was a very particular way to get a female audience, but not very accessible in a lot of ways. We we had the grind. (laughs) 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 Yeah, and TRL. I mean, those were our joints. That's where we lived. I'm curious if you've ever spent any time looking on the internet at what is still written about Daria and Jane. Like there's so much fan fiction. There are a lot of people who see them as kind of like queer icons, even though the show never referred to them as such. And in fact, there's a whole series of episodes where they Jane is dating this guy and then they ends up dating Daria. Have you looked at any of that stuff? And what, what is your response to it? I have not, but I'm trusting you will send me links. And (laughs) it was certainly part of discussions that I've had over the years with people where we were like, yeah, I I would hope that they had a gender fluid period where college was a lot of fun and they hook up on the weekends and whatever, no big thing. And Jane didn't make it weird. And, you know, they explored. (laughs) They were very, you know, open about these things. And, I, you know, there's been talk of, should there be a reboot? I would be happy to do a reboot of Daria. I think it's a timely kind of show. The challenge becomes, well, you can't really go back to the 90s. I guess you could make more of that, but that's not really necessary. So do you do Daria and Jane all grown up? Are they still friends? Where would they be? What would their family situation, what careers would they have? Didn't MPD announce a reboot? They're doing Jody. Oh, I thought it was not a, not a Daria reboot. 
Well, Jody was on Daria, but they're kind of doing, in a sense, what they did with Beavis and Butthead is they're taking a character from Daria and like giving her her own show. Yeah. And as I understand it, and please correct me if you know differently, I think it's like when she's older, like an adult. That's what I understand. Yeah, I think so. It's Tracy Ellis Ross. And I'm not sure on the details of it, but it sounds awesome. And with Tracy at the helm, I'm excited to see what they do with it. But you're exactly right, Jen. It's not like Daria's going to make a cameo or Jane's making a cameo. It's an entirely different world. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, I've heard real life versions of Daria with Aubrey oh, right. Plaza. <laughs> yeah, she did a hilarious video that's so good. Like, but listen, my fans, Daria fans are the best. They're the coolest. They're really smart. They find me. And I'm like, all right. And typically, I'll write no autographs, please, Daria. <laughs> <laughs> so you have a teenage daughter of your own. I do. And so just out of curiosity, like when did you have the Daria chat or the real world chat or have you? I don't know if I had that. She's 17. I don't think I've admitted to anyone, especially my daughter, that there's a copy of a real world pilot out there with me in it. She knows about that. I'm kidding. Um, Daria, she actually went for Halloween as Daria. I think she was 10. She probably started seeing episodes around 10. She actually, we watched a couple episodes last night. She didn't even know I was doing this. She just wanted to watch Daria for the 25th anniversary. I was like, oh my God. Okay. It's weird too, because I don't, really remember a lot of the episodes. I remember paragraphs of copy and dialogue that I thought was really smart and I really enjoyed doing because she was making a relevant point about anything. Mm-hmm. But like the Tom years when Daria has a boyfriend is kind of interesting. That was more toward the end. More towards the end. Yeah. Like the fifth season, I think. Speaking of Daria and Halloween costumes, I don't know if you watched Yellow Jackets or if anybody told you about this reference on the show Yellow Jackets. My friend just told me. Yeah where Melanie Linsky's daughter is like, makes fun of her for dressing up as 90s characters on Halloween. And she says, the people who matter recognize Daria. And I think that's true. I thousand percent agree. There's no arguing that. Yeah, if you don't know Daria, I mean, you know, that's a badge. (laughs) If you know, you know, right? You're in, you're in, for sure. We're part of a six ad world club. (laughs) So you have this amazing career in cable. On one hand, you were the star and voice of this iconic show and appeared in the pilot of another incredibly iconic show. But you've also had a whole career on the other side of the business. So just tell our listeners a little bit about what you did at MTV and then ultimately Comedy Central. And now, of course, you're at a broadcast network. So whatever. Kind of covering (laughs) the whole gamut. Listen, MTV was just, I was like, I've peaked. I'm 28 now. I don't know where I go from here. This is it. That's all I want to do. But I think what started to happen was there was a shift. It was sort of like the music industry was going through its thing and stuff was shifting. And I really ultimately wanted to pursue writing at some point, like in 89 or 99, I think it was around there. So I ended up going freelance, spent some time at Nickelodeon writing for a great show called Taina, which was about a Latina girl going to the School of Performing Arts in New York. And whenever she was stressed out, she'd have a dream sequence song thing. So she was, it was very funny half-hour comedy. It was very funny to write for. And then I, I got this very niche kind of thing where I would be brought a creator of some sort who had maybe a story to tell or some characters they needed to round out the world. And then I would made just a year or two out of just helping creators launch ideas and pitch and share. And that was right around when the writer's strike was coming. So I thought I better get a real job again because that felt freelance felt a little vulnerable. And a recruiter found me 
and let me know about a creative director position within Comedy Central. Wound up in the promo group at Comedy Central. And those were some more incredibly fun years launching shows like Chappelle Show, working with The Daily Show when Jon Stewart was there and launching Colbert Report. Key and Peele came out of that Sarah Silverman program. Just really fun. So it kind of went from this first love of music into comedy. And those years were just a blast. So fun. I just never felt like I was really working. <laughs> just felt like 90% of the job was fun. We we're roasting everybody. We started with Dennis Leary when his company took over the franchise from the Friars. And then I got recruited out to NBC 10 years ago, 2012. So I wound up moving from New York with the family out to Hollywood. And here we are. I'm still trying to figure out if I fit in. I'm not sure. It's like, you know, see how see if it takes. I know this is a broad question, but having mostly worked in, in basic cable and then moving to NBC, was that a, an adjustment? Did it feel like a different kind of environment? It's a good question. I think, honestly, the biggest adjustment was the volume because the, the number of shows they're launching pretty much year round, so many more eyeballs are on you when you're at network and you've got affiliates to cater to. There's a whole cadence and nuance of delivery. I think honestly, the level of quality of the work is upped at a broadcast network. I mean, the shows that were on the air at the time I joined was still Parks and Rec and Community and some, I think 30 Rock was kind of tailing out. But top tier talent, not that Comedy Central and MTV didn't have that. It was just a little more loose. <laughs> I always tell people we were running kind of like boutiques back in basic cable yes. versus the networks. I like that. I think that's accurate. They were more like bigger department stores and we were more like a boutique trying to appeal to a very specific person. Cable's like a place where you can bring your dog to work. <laughs> Network is not. When I think of Beavis and Butthead, I definitely think boutique. That's the first <laughs> word I think of. Well, maybe not the one you would <laughs> shop in, Jen. But <laughs> <laughs> No, I would. I would totally shop in a Beavis and Butthead boutique. So we're 25 years on, as the internet has reminded us recently from Daria. So when you get reminded of that and you hear that or you see that or people go, oh my God, it's 25 years, Tracy, you can believe it. Like what goes through your mind? What are your initial thoughts? How do you look back? And what's the initial feeling you get? Oh my God. Well, first of all, 25 years, Jesus, I'm old. Like what is that about? That's insane. Honestly, I think I mentioned this before, but it's evergreen. The show is evergreen. It's still reaching out and, and hitting a new fan base and speaking to people. So I can't believe that it's still a relevant part of pop culture. And I think the biggest fan through all the years has been BuzzFeed because they're, I think over 25 years, there's always a top 10 list, at least once a month about Daria and the crew and fun facts. It's just hilarious. They, they had a bunch this week. Yeah, <laughs> they did. They did. I was just going to ask if you think back to when Daria ended, how did you feel when the when the show was coming to an end? Were you kind of like, okay, I'm ready to move on? Were you sad? A mix of all of that stuff? It was definitely a mix of all of it. It was more of a, every time it came back, I was like, really? We're doing another season? <laughs> cool. <laughs> all right. Because I kind of moved on to Comedy Central and had put in my contract, if Daria continues, I want to be able to dip out to go do this other show for this other network. And because it was part of the family, it wasn't really a big issue, but... I think it was about time to end it because the culture was changing. We were out of the 90s. It's time to move on. And, you know, having a daughter who's about to graduate from high school, I went back and listened to Daria's graduation speech from the Is It College Yet movie. And it's pretty great. It's a pretty great one to 
kind of go out on. So I sort of feel like the arc of the series had a beginning, middle and end, and it was very tidy and well put and well done. I think you kind of know when it's time. No, it's time. Like now. <laughs> like now. <laughs> we generally wrap up with asking uh, our guest, excluding your own show, Daria, yeah. what is your all-time favorite basic cable show? Because I have short-term memory right now, I'm, I'm going to say Shit's Creek. Shit's Creek all the way for me. I can just pick up and watch that show at any point, and it will always put me in a good mood forever for the rest of my life. So I'm going to say Shit's Creek on favorite. Well, Tracy, we were thrilled to have you. I, of course, am a personal and professional fan, and I know Jen is a great fan of Daria, and I'm sure she would be a fan of the real world pilot if she ever saw it. I would love it. <laughs> no. <laughs> we really appreciate you coming on and spending some time with us. It was an honor and so much fun, and I'm so glad you gave Daria some attention because it's really, it's more about her than me, let's be honest, but thank you guys. This has really been a blast. Really fun. It's been a good way to begin a podcast experience. So it's all going to just blow up from here. You're going to get a request right and left. Going back to my padded room now. <laughs> <laughs> Tracy, you're great. It's not too late to get in on this podcast thing, man. The train's moving. Man, all right. You, I've been quoting the quote you gave me from Leary, which is the five words no one ever wants to hear anyone say. Will you do my podcast? <laughs> anyway, thank you guys. This is really way too fun. You're highlighting you, my day. Enjoy the weekend. You too. So Tracy Grandstaff is just so cool. And the thing that is so amazing about her to me is that she was the voice of Daria, but like that was a side gig for her pretty much the entire time. This thing that she's most well known for that has meant so much to a lot of teenagers, especially girls, and still does. It's a footnote in her career. But it isn't. I mean, it is in her mind because yeah. she obviously has done a lot of other very important things. I hope she never dies. But if and when she does, <laughs> that's going to be in the first sentence of her obituary. No question. So you were a fan. So why do you think it's kind of held its place in the culture after all these years? Well, I just think the idea of a girl who is kind of side-eyeing everything that's going on around her is a very universal idea. And I think a lot of girls, whether they're young now or were young at the time, really relate to that. And then I think there's just also the kind of nostalgia cycle and the way that that works. I think Daria was popular with millennials when they were very young and now they're parents and they're making their kids watch it <laughs> or in tracy's case like it sounded like her daughter kind of discovered it herself and became a fan without her mother really pushing her on it too much so you know the fact that like everything else it's still out there and you can watch the entire run of the show on paramount plus it just takes one kid to tell one other kid oh this is really cool there's just something about that sarcastic low-key whatever attitude that was very 90s, but that also still resonates. A real touchstone, right? I mean, for mm -hmm. an entire generation. Not everybody watched it, but I feel like everybody that watched it, you know, went on to become something in comedy and it, and it really had a, a, a pretty big influence on a generation and particularly a generation of women. Yeah, I was thinking about that actually, just in terms of other female characters from that era that have been really influential. And so, of course, I started thinking about Clueless I've written a book about it, available on Amazon and other booksellers. <laughs> and Cher Horowitz is, you know, Alicia Silverstone's character is like the opposite of Daria. Like Daria yes. would have zero patience for her whatsoever. But she is also this very iconic touchstone for, I think, the same generation of women that I'm referring to. I haven't really sussed out what that all means or what that all says, but I just love that idea of that 
disparity between these two young girls and young women and that so many women and girls related to them both. Would they have um, liked each other, Jen? What do you think? No, absolutely not. <laughs> Actually, I think Cher might have liked Daria. Daria would not have liked Cher. There you go. So on top of Daria, which would be enough for anybody's wiki page, on top of that, Tracy Grandstaff was in the pilot of the real world, which depending on how you look at the world, started the entire reality TV boom. And at the very least, started a whole genre of shows that continue to this day, including the real world, although I think they only recently stopped making it. But that in itself is just a crazy story, right? Yeah, it's it's a real like Forrest Gump sort of situation where she just was in the right place at the right time multiple times for that, for being a writer on Beavis and Butthead, for being the voice of Daria. A lot of luck and, and obviously she brought talent to it as well. And that's, that's also her, you know, she was, as I remember her as a young woman at MTV, very bright, very smart, very cool, and also just up for anything like, yeah, I'll do that. Like, that sounds like fun. Let's try that. And so when she talks about MTV in those days and the idea that you could kind of do it if you wanted to enough, if you got your foot in the door, it really was kind of true. It was a pretty open type of organization in those days where almost anybody could throw an idea at the wall and people would listen. And if it stuck, They'd give it a shot. I keep trying to think what's the modern day equivalent of that. And obviously it's the internet and TikTok and places where you don't need anybody's permission to create your own mini show or whatever you want to call it. But the idea that at that time that possibility existed for a young person and it was on like nationally televised networks that in theory had gatekeepers <laughs> is, is just kind of remarkable. To me, Tracy has the ultimate MTV story. Comes from nowhere, Michigan, arrives in New York City. But a couple of years before she walks out the door at MTV, she is a starring voice of an incredibly cool hit animated series and was in the pilot of maybe the most influential reality TV show ever, right? Yeah, that's uh, it's kind of a hard story to beat. Yeah. And then on top of that, as you said, you know, had a, an amazing career around that. You know, she does promos to this day for NBC. So it was really fun to talk to her. It was really fun to talk to her. Thanks for listening. Basic is a Pantheon media production in partnership with Sirius XM, hosted by Jen Cheney and Doug Herzog, produced by Christian Swain and Peter Ferrioli. Lindley Ehrlich is our assistant producer. Mixed, mastered, and music by Jerry Danielson. Edited by Zach Spisner. You can find Basic on Apple Podcasts, the SiriusXM app, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen. If you like the show, please rate, review, and share so other people can find us. Don't, Don't forget, forget to follow, follow the show so you never, never miss an episode. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett. 
Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that fantasy points has to offer. That's fantasypoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at fantasy points. Fantasypoints.com code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.